to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. If you're anything like Sayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Trevor Thompson. And he came from a very successful W-2 career and has since also now been investing as a limited partner in 17 syndication deals. And over the past years, he's become very passionate about learning about real estate investing and sharing his journey with the people that he meet and around him. And I'm so excited to have this conversation with you, Trevor, and getting into your background and how you got started and how you were able to invest in 17 deals throughout your real estate investing journey so far. So welcome to the show and thank you so much for being here today. I'm excited to be here. So Trevor, can you start off by sharing a little bit about your background with our listeners? Yeah. So I live in Austin, Texas currently. I spent most of my life in the attractions industry. So I originally from Niagara Falls, Canada, and through high school, I worked for Ripley's Believe It or Not. Then I switched to Guinness World of Records and actually worked with them for 18 years, managed the rights for all of North America. So I ran one in Niagara Falls, another one in New York City. And then I started getting entrepreneurial and doing things. And then I moved to Florida because I wanted to come from Canada to the U.S., live the American dream And so I was actually trying to open a business and the whole deal fell through, but ended up opening this strange haunted house for three years. I worked there. It was a year round haunted house. And I got recruited by a headhunter for a company called Sky Venture. Now it's called iFly. And I did a 20 year career with that company and started with the original owner, one location and went through two different ownerships. And unfortunately, COVID ended that, but we opened 80 locations worldwide, and I personally opened 46 of the 80 locations. So I traveled a lot. It was very exciting, though. Really, it was an amazing journey. Oh, wow. So I'd love to ask a couple of questions about your background here. For when you opened up the haunted house business, I guess, what was the most interesting thing about opening up the business and some of the ideas that you had surrounding? So the thing was, we had an idea that it would work, but we'd never opened a haunted house We were arrogantly went ahead and decided we were going to design and build our own haunted house. And literally on opening day, within 45 minutes, we determined that our business setup model for the facility was not working. We actually shut down in the middle of our grand opening, retooled and reopened. And unfortunately, it always kind of struggled, but it ended up actually the gentleman who put the money in eventually sold the land and held the land for quite a while and made some money on the land. So it was an exciting journey. And oddly enough, so many of the people that worked for me there are still close friends. 
And some of them have gone on to be very famous uh, on television, doing artwork, body artwork and different things. So it was very exciting, but it was also stressful because it struggled. Got it. And so then you transitioned over into, you know, you've opened up several, the indoor skydiving companies. I started with the original one in Orlando, Florida, with the original inventor of the concept for our technology. And very interestingly, on our first team meeting, he gave everybody a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I always had a fascination with real estate, liked real estate. To be honest, I always thought I'd be a realtor in my later years. And it really piqued my curiosity. But like so many people, I knew about it, didn't really take the time to educate myself as to the power and how really quickly. So I spent my whole life basically just working on my career, trying to be successful, trying to climb up the corporate ladder, if you would. And I wish so much I had started back then than after. But what had happened is we ended up getting bought out and that produced a bit of a payday for me. So I decided, okay, let me figure out how to get into the real estate business. I really didn't know how. And that's what started my quest to learn. I found about syndication. I actually joined a local mentoring program and I'm still a member of it, but not very active. And that's when I started actually investing in real estate. So I had all that money and I decided, okay, I'm going to start diversifying and 90% of my money was in the stock market, 10% was in real estate, and now it's the opposite. <laughs> 90% of my money's in real estate, and 10% in the stock market, and I never did get the stock market right. I always sold when it was low, but it just, I'm glad to get out of it. So one of the things you said was, a lot of people, we hear about it, we know about real estate investing, but we don't really take action on it. So you had the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book, you knew about real estate investing as a great vehicle, but you never took action on it. So later on in your career, what was the turning point for you that made you decide that, hey, real estate is something I should start looking into and get more serious about? Yeah, so I definitely knew about it as a way to build wealth and also as a way to avoid paying taxes. And to be honest, the sh- getting a shocking amount of tax removed on that big payday, I went, man, I should have had a better plan. I knew better. I was actually very upset with myself that I knew better. I knew I should be creating passive income streams and doing different things, and I didn't. And so that's when I made a commitment to say, okay, I'm going to dedicate myself to learning more about it, right? Because Rich Dad, Poor Dad just gives you the concept thereof. And I'll be honest, I've been learning for four years. I'm still learning. It's a very broad thing. You can learn a lot. But, you know, now our message is you should start a lot earlier. You need to learn about this. You need to be able to create that passive wealth flow. And if I knew now what I, if I'd have known then what I know now, and even many years ago, I'd be in a whole different situation right now. So as a passive investor, when you had the payout and you had to pay for a lot of taxes, as a passive investor, what you would be able to do if you had the real estate on the side of it, you'd be able to take some of those passive incomes that were passed through over to you to offset some of those capital gains that you had or offset some of that payout that you had gotten. Is that correct? Yeah, probably wouldn't be able to pay off because when you're still a W-2 employee, mm-hmm. you can only mitigate your personal income taxes. But I would have known a lot more and I would have been a lot better. You know, if I had started the 20 years ago, the passive income and the losses and Getting one big payday would have helped a lot just to be able to change my whole structure. And at the end of it all, you know, in theory, I owned nothing other than a home and I didn't even actually own the home. So I decided to pay it off when I got the money as well. 
but it was like, it was just life changing to say, man, I should have been better prepared for an event like this. So how did you come across syndications? So I started looking into real estate. And to be honest, at first I was interested in commercial buildings. And so I went to a couple of those weekend warriors and I'll be honest, the high pressure, the unbelievability of what they were teaching, go buy an office building with no money down using your credit card. And I went to a couple of those weekend warriors. I actually even joined the Rich Dad Poor Dad online mentoring and found it to be very insufficient. Like I said, I did join a local real estate group. And what I liked about them is at least they were all in Texas and they were mostly in the single family space, but they did have some commercial so that's where first of my first few investments were made with them. And then as I started learning, I was able to branch out. And I mean, right now in theory, I have three different mentors, all with different parts of real estate, learned a lot. And quite interestingly, my first two investments, actually the two that have gone full cycle and I made no money, but I got a lot of education. <laughs> so... I'd like to go back to that one as well. But before we get to those two that had exited as well, I'd like to talk a little bit about, you know, you have so much experience as a limited partner investing in 17 deals so far. What have you learned about yourself as a passive investor, about what you like and what you don't like? And then in deals particularly, what are some of the things that you really focus on as a passive investor? Yeah. So I've learned a lot and I have this motto, I call it earn and learn. And so I always wanted to invest in something that I thought I had an opportunity to earn and learn. So we'll talk a little bit about the deals that went full cycle. But to be honest, the biggest thing I learned is you need to know who your sponsor team is. You need to be connected with them. You need to understand them. You need to think the same way as they do. You really want to invest in deals with people that, you know, it's said a million times, know, like, and trust but it is so true. So when I look at a deal now, I start with the sponsor. I'll be honest, I get sent dozens of deals and I just hit the delete. I may scour them just to take a peek at it, but there are certain people that I've gotten to where I know, like, and trust. Then when I see their deal, I look at what asset class is it? Because I'm not only multifamily investor, I have other asset classes. So is that one I wanted to get into and learn? Then I look at where is it? because I learned a big lesson. A couple of my first investments were in very rough neighborhoods, portrayed as a C-class, but they were really a D-class. So I call it, at first I look at the jockey, the horse, and then the track. And then the track is the area. So all my investments, but two are in Texas because I'm here. And so I want to build my local Texas network and be able to do that. But I do have one investment in Arizona and just did another one in North Charlotte, North Carolina. And those have different reasons why we can go into it a bit, but they were very people related. I'd connected with those people. I liked what they did. I liked what they said. One of them, I even went through some training courses with that he taught. And then I took that and said, okay, now I want to invest in with him and see what I can learn there. So what is through the different sponsors that you have invested with, which ones are the ones have like really stood out for you, like in terms of their communication styles, like what have they been doing that have really stood out for you as a passive investor? Yeah. So it's amazing. So the first few investments that I did invest in, right there, their updates were very soft, nothing other than you had a call. And I mean, they had four slides prepared for the call, a little bit of things, answered a couple of questions, and then it was done. 
I was like, well, I'm not learning anything here. And in fact, that's what led me to go to the next level. I went to the sponsor and said, I'm not learning anything. And at the time he had an opportunity, one of the investments I was in was struggling. And he said, well, how would you like to take over as asset manager for that? Even though you're a passive investor, we could bring you in. And so I said, this is great. I'm happy to do it. And I was able to rearrange my work schedule. I was working weekends at the time. So I had weekdays off to travel to the asset. And that was the one that I discovered. I'll be honest, the first day I went there, I was uncomfortable. It was a rundown place, um, people in the parking lots. Uh, I was like, wow, I didn't know I invested in this. You know, So that was a big learning lesson for sure. And then as I started helping, they, I was actually helping just one of his paid asset managers who within a week got terminated. Within four weeks, they terminated the property management company. And here I am an LP, first time asset manager, having a 776 door deep value add that I'm self-managing. And so I used to say I was in the deep end and every other time they would throw a lifesaver and every other time they'd throw a 25 pound weight and just go figure it out. But again, I learned so much. You just don't learn anything other than getting thrown in the deep end of a, of a fight and uh, fighting. And of course, COVID came and we really struggled. And then we had a falling out, which we don't need to talk about. And then so finally, the investment did sell. We got our money back, but we escaped with the hair of our chinny chin chin, as they say. In other words, he took a loss to get out and at least make the investors whole. So then from that particular deal that you had worked on as the asset manager, what was the biggest takeaway that you took away from that experience? So know a little bit more about who you're investing in and then what you're investing in. Like it was two hours away. I should have driven and looked at the asset before I invested in it. And I know it's not always possible because people don't invest in their backyard as much as I do, but I really should have. And if I had driven the property, I still might have invested in it because back then I didn't quite understand asset classes. And I was drinking the Kool-Aid that you buy a property and you make lots of money, right? And again, it, it you do. It is a very good way to earn money. You just under, need to understand exactly what you're investing in, right? So that's the jockey, the horse, and the track. So the horse and the track had actually all three kind of had something wrong with them, but it was just, they got overextended and nobody who could ever see COVID coming. And the high value properties were the hardest hit. So the ones that need the most value add, they were the ones that got hit the most. So that one particularly, you said that that one, you didn't lose any money though. That's um, correct. I've not lost any money on anything other than the use of the money and time, but I got my money back. And then since then I've changed So a knee jerk reaction from going from a deep value add. Almost my next investment I made was in an A plus. So they actually bought a brand new A plus building. They bought it from the developer. These people were also in my real estate group, but they were different syndicators. So I met with them and it was a reaction going the other direction. Okay, listen, I'm no longer right now going to do deep value add. I'm going to try to go to an A-class asset. And fortunately, they let me come in and help with a few things. And I did some research on turning it into a smart complex. And I'll tell you, like the night and day difference of communication like literally when they took over the property, there was weekly updates. I've never had weekly updates. And then it went to bi-weekly and then it went to monthly, but still, and it's amazing how much they communicate what's happening. 
And I'll tell you, they set a new standard for me when I become active to communicate. It wasn't overwhelming. It was a one pager, but you really felt like you knew what was going on. What were some of the things that were communicated to the investors that really made you understand what was going on with the properties? Yeah. So when they bought it from a developer, so it was 80% leased up with a lot of lease concessions and, you know, which is what happens on a new build. And they also don't chase a lot of the add-on Excel extra incomes, right? So they weren't charging much for garage or preferred parking. And, you know, they were just trying to fill the space. And so I was very lucky that one of the things we looked at was turning into smart community and how do we get reimbursed for what we're going to do and increase the NOI. So I got to go in there and help and learn some of those things. And so they would just update our current occupancy is this, our future occupancy, like with lease assigned is this. And it was still during COVID. So they talked about any loss to lease or any bad debt. And then the updates just on things that were happening. So like they brought a medical team there to do COVID vaccination shots for their tenants and just like, wow, that's a great idea. And all the things that they did to make the community safe and then to help with their residents. And then it was really eye-opening to see it from a whole different point of view. So how has your investment strategy mindset as starting out with a first investment as a limited partner to currently now, as you've invested in 17 deals so far, how has that changed over time now? Yeah, so it's changed quite a bit. So I'm doing more. So before, when I first started investing, I didn't care about cash flow. I had a well-paying job. So I wanted the multiple of the income. And that was my really, okay, so I'm going to double my money in this many years. That was all I looked at. And now I look at a little more varieties. So I look for something that's going to provide some cash on cash. And then I've switched my focus mostly to IRR. You know, I learned a lesson on the time value of money with some of my investments. And so I focus on a PREF return and IRR, kind of the two big numbers that I look at. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Got it. And so then for you, as you've been investing in several deals, was it all at one time or like, did you have a set number of investments as a goal for each year yeah, as you've been so investing? It was really bizarre how it all happened. So I've been trying to switch to active, which I know we're going to talk about a little later. And we found a deal. And so the deal looked good. And I had to bring some cash to the table to make the deal happen. So I sold a bunch of stocks, made a company, moved all the money there, and the deal fell apart. And I went, oh, now I've got all this money earning nothing, right? Sitting in the bank earning nothing. So let me pivot here and try to find somewhere to put that money. And literally the same day the deal fell through, 
another deal came in and they only wanted to tie that money up for a year. It was more like an equity position on, so it was more like a loan to the company, to the, and it was a group I already knew and had a non-real estate investment with. So it was like, okay, I'll move my money to there. And then as I got going, I started networking more because as I mentioned, I wanted to switch to active. And so I started connecting with people and I call it putting my money where my mouth is. So I'd like to do a deal with you, but I'm going to invest in your current deal so that we at least take our relationship to the next level where I've invested in you. I can see what kind of operator you are. I still go out and volunteer if I could help do anything on the deal. I mean, I even volunteer like on takeover day. I'll come and clean the parking lot so I can watch you know, takeover day, kind of silly stuff like that. So I've been investing in relationships that I hope will generate into future partnerships. And I understand that there's not always room for me on their current deals, but in the hopes that there will be. So it's been much more relationship investing So and trying to expand my asset class. So for example, one of them was someone I'd established a relationship with. We've been trying for a year to buy a multifamily and never got to best and final. And he had a side investment on a medical center. And I thought, okay, I've always wanted to get into this. One of those small medical office buildings, always wanted to get into the space. We're already connected. So I'm going to get all the inside scoop of what's happening or doing. And we hope to have a future together doing some more of these. So I, okay, so I'm going to make a passive investment in that. So a lot of it was to build a relationship or partner up with my teammates where I'm still a passive, but I'm in the deal supporting them. For you as a passive investor, you mentioned that prior to getting involved in real estate, you were about 90% invested in the stocks, about 10% Mm -hmm. in real estate. But over the years, you've now switched it where 90% is now in real estate and 10% is in stocks. So a lot of people, they may come across and they see, hey, stocks are actually maybe less risky than real estate. And so for you as a passive investor, did you ever have a hesitancy or anything like that? Or like, what was your mindset to be able to convert your portfolio into 90% into real estate? And did you find that being more riskier than being in the stock market? Yes and no. So the stock market has done great, but it's also been periods where it hasn't done great, right? So I remember when COVID hit, in theory, I got furloughed from work and lost a third of my net worth in the stock market all in like one day. I woke up in the morning and I thought, man, I got furloughed. I hadn't got laid off yet, but I got furloughed and my stock went down one third. I mean, of course, it's corrected and surpassed, you know, and if I had left the money in there again, but my decision at the time was I have no control in that. In other words, I can invest in Amazon, but I have really, I don't know anybody at Amazon, you know, what could happen or whatever it is. And you know, wish I'd have bought Tesla stocks, but I didn't. Well, now they're building their big factory here. But, and I just thought, okay, at least I know the people and I'm learning something. I learned nothing in the stock market. I tried picking my own and I really, to be honest, I knew enough just to be stupid and dangerous. Where on multifamily, at least I feel I've learned a lot more right? That I can take and take to the next level, which is where I'm going to switch to active. So all that learning I can, that's education that I can use to grow other people's net worth and wealth, as well as my own. For the two deals that had gone full cycle, 
we talked a little bit about one of them. Can you share a little bit about the second one? And did that one make some money or how so did that it one did not, It did not make any money. And it was two things that happened. They ended up um, very much miscalculating the property taxes. Taxes have gone crazy in Florida and insurance. So it was a smaller property, just didn't have the bandwidth to absorb two big cost categories. So it was never in jeopardy of losing money. It was only an appreciation play. And literally they presented, listen, we're trading dollars every month. We have an all cash offer that's going to close in three weeks. It was a 1031 exchange buyer. We can get out now, return your money, and we're all going to get out without hoping. And again, this was a little while ago. It was the end of 2020. So we were still like not sure where you know, if the world was going to survive. And so they called for a vote. Basically, let's take the safe route out and try to redeploy. And how long were each of those two deals? Did you hold them for before they went full cycle? So, this, so sorry, the first one I was just talking about now, that was actually two years. And then the other one was three years. As a passive investor, if you're seeing your deals and they haven't made any money for you as you exited, how does that change your strategy or how does that change your mindset, if any, going forward? So I was lucky to be on the inside for a while of the one deal. And I realized that they didn't have enough CapEx to achieve heavy lift that they had, that they just really did. So now when I look at deals, I look at the realistic terms of, do they have good debt? So it was an assumption of a bridge loan. And the problem was they could never get the property good enough to get out of that. The goal was always to stabilize and of course, get a agency debt. And they never could stabilize. So now you're going from bridge to bridge, which is a big thing that scares me. Everybody's buying bridge. I know it's so going bridge to bridge is scary and hard to do. And then they just didn't have enough CapEx. And I learned a fairly unrealistic plan, right? Like it was a deep value add and they had $4,000 a door. They should have had six and a half thousand dollars a door. And I wouldn't have learned that if I didn't start watching it. So now I look for that in other deals. So I went and visited the one deal, like I said, with this guy I want to be a partner with, and he's got $11,000 door rehab. And we actually walked some vacant units and talked about what he was going to do. So it made me very comfortable that they had everything they needed to become successful. And you mentioned also earlier that you're investing in relationships. Yes. In this space within real estate itself, how important it is, is it to build up your relationships with other people? everything, I think. I mean, it is everything. You want to build up your relationships. This is a team sport. And now if you want to just be a passive investor, as long as you know who you're investing with and they've got a great track record, and there's a lot of people out there that got a great track record, you can safely just invest and get the mailbox money. And as long as you can at least understand the base of a deal, you can be fairly safe. But if you want to get involved in some heavy value adds or some different asset classes, then you need to take some risks, which is why I wanted to expand the types of investments I've been in. So I have a retail strip center, medical center, multifamily, two land deals, an apartment to condo conversion, and a single family home fund. And mini storage, just invested in a new storage. So I've been trying to spread out my asset classes as well, just to do different things in the marketplace. Um, not the best timing, closed on a retail strip center March 15th, 2020. But by Q4 of 2020 and all this year, at least we've gotten the 5% cash on cash. So, and it's stabilizing now that the economies, especially Texas, we're wide open and going for it. So the retail center will pick back up. 
What is one thing that was the biggest surprise to you as you made that transition from a passive investor into an active investor? How hard it was to find a deal. That's hard work. I look at tons of deals, try to get them going, make offers, and then get beat out by what I refer to as unrealistic purchase prices. You know, I used to always say that in the past, when I first started, you would buy a property based on its current performance. Right now in Texas, people are buying properties based on their performa, what you think you can do with it. And you're paying some of the Exeter's upside. Now, things in Austin are accelerating so crazy. Interesting story. I looked at a property last year. It was $110,000 a door. I thought it was way too much money for a really deep value add property. And I just passively invested in that same deal where the guy bought it for $146,000 a deal. And it's a deal. Who would think, right? In one year. Now, they did spend some quite a bit of CapEx on the property in between. Take some of the big reasons why people walked away from the deal. But I mean, again, this isn't normal where we are now. And so I'm just being super cautious not to overpay. So what is next for you, Trevor? Yeah. So my goal is to be part of a sponsorship team to syndicate two more deals next year. I'm on one deal now where I actually joined somebody else's team. And I'm hoping with that team, we can at least do another deal. And then with the other relationship people I've, I've been talking with that I'll be able to get on a deal with them. So my goal now is to switch the balance a little bit. So I'm currently 15 passive and I'm going to always passively invest in my own deals. You should always make sure the sponsor has their own money, especially skin in the game kind of money. So I'm going to cash out of those so that I can invest in my new ones. But that's my goal is to try to balance that out to where I've got 10 active and 10 passive. I always want to stay passive. So, so far, how has real estate investing impacted your life? You know, it was interesting. So I left a career that I was super passionate about. I mean, I loved iFly. We delivered the dream of flight to people. We were giving people dream job. It was amazing. And to be honest, I never thought I would feel that again, that real estate was just going to be a kind of matter of fact business. But I've become so passionate about it. And, you know, sort of you have to have your why, right? And so my why now is to take communities, make them a better place to live. And by making them a better place to live, yes, you can increase the rents. I want to make them a better place to work. There's often a combative thing between the the syndicators and the property management companies where I want to have it to where they love working on my properties and they get to kind of fulfill their dreams. And then now people can invest in my deals, which will fund their wives, whatever their wives are with the passive income coming in. And so I've actually become very passionate to me to be able to do that. So now I can make a better place to live, a better place to work. People that come along for the ride can achieve some passive income and so improve their financial wealth situation. And then they can now go do their whys, whatever their whys are. So what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Boy, I think investors that really do care about their investment. It's not just a piece of dirt with a few buildings on it that we're going to make some money. 
I think people that, and again, I've connected with so many people, you know, we talked about the COVID shots and there's another lady, I've not invested in her deals, but I'm a huge fan of hers. Like they delivered turkeys at Thanksgiving to their residents and, you know, it's a lower class and they started an after school little program. They got backpacks for the kids going back to school and filled just those little things. I look for people that want to do those and I want to be partners with them and I want to make everybody's life kind of better. So I look for people that are passionate about making the world a better place to live in. And I think the net result of that is making money. But there are people that are just buying apartments, putting metrics in place and trying to make money. And I'm not interested in that. And so along your journey so far, what has been one of the best resources that you've been able to utilize to help you with your real estate investing in an education space? You know, just... I mean, it was very interesting, right? So we rolled into this crazy thing, COVID, and I connected with so many online meetups. And I started connecting with people all over the US. And I went from like, it's hilarious. I always say I've never been so busy not having a job. <laughs> tonight, I've got two calls. I was from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. tonight. I'm on two different meetup calls. And one's purely to educate myself. The other one is One of my mentors is presenting, but I also like to meet people while I go to these events. It's been, who I've met has been so incredible. What is the best thing that you've enjoyed so far about real estate investing? Again, it's going to go back to meeting incredible people that want to change other people's lives at all stages of their lives, right? They want to make better places for their tenants, better places to work, passive income streams for their investors. And then at the end of it all, as the sponsor, you get the reward of doing the good things and you also get financially rewarded as well. I think that's it, meeting those kind of people and being inspired by them. Absolutely. Just like and I want to be one of those people now. I want to inspire others. And so I connect with a lot of new people at meetups and just say, hey, let's connect and talk. And I've got a cut and paste on an email and it's like, join these Facebook groups, do this, do that. I've been super active on social media. I know we met just doing a LinkedIn challenge, but I was at a conference in Florida earlier this year and people walk up to me and go, I know you from Facebook. You're everywhere. Can we get a selfie? And it's like, I feel like a rock star. I know I'm not, but it's, uh, No, but in theory, this funny old guy from Texas can be well known just by being active. Yeah, absolutely. So which is the most beneficial or like a social media platform that you found to be the most useful for you? You know, so I've struggled to use LinkedIn well. I make connections there and I keep everything on LinkedIn pretty business focused. And then Facebook is a mixture of business and personal and keeping the track of people and just meeting and connecting. That's the real important thing to be able to connect with people that you can make some sort of difference in. And again, even this LinkedIn challenge, I feel like we got to know a lot of people that we never would have known. I mean, we would never have met probably. And I think we chatted like every day and commented on stuff. And then I found out you did a podcast and I'm like, oh, can I come on? And, <laughs> and it's just how this all works. The fact that people are so interested in what you do, who you are and why you're doing it. It's incredible. Yeah. It all goes back to what you were talking about earlier about building up relationships and how important it is because 
you know, especially in this space, it's all about the relationships. You never know who you're going to meet. You don't know what kind of deals you're going to be working on together later on, but just building it up slowly and little by little, eventually things will start to happen. It will. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the biggest thing for me now is to add value. So many people added value to me. Now I want to add value to others. And I find that very rewarding. I was always kind of the main mentor guy at our company that talked to new people and helped them kind of improve themselves and do better. And again, I never thought I'd find all these great things in real estate investing, but it's true. When I meet people from like college students to people trying to get out of their W-2 jobs. Yeah, absolutely. And so Trevor, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey with us today. It's That's I mean, pleasure. it's incredible that you've been able to invest in so many different deals and you've been able to share with us so many different lessons from the deals that you've experienced going through full cycle and even the current ones that you have right now and being transitioning over from the passive to the active side. So Trevor, thank you so much. And for our listeners out there who are interested in learning more about your story as well, where's the best place that they can go to find out more? So they can connect with me on LinkedIn or Facebook. And there you got to put the K, K in front of my name. So my legal name is Keith. We talked about that earlier. And then I do have a website, niagara-investments.com. And you could guess the Niagara comes from, from Niagara Falls. So that's why I decided to pick that name. So Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Trevor. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.